0: Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jilkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, hey, hey! Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I wanted to let you know that I wrote a book! Yes, a real-life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to maryscupoftea.com book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book, and I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, Tea.com slash book, go pre-order it today and give yourself. The gift of self love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast. Today, I am here with a very special guest I've been wanting to interview for a while, and I am so happy we're connected all the way around the world. Woohoo, technology. She is from Australia, and her name is Imogen Barnes. Imogen, welcome to the show.
1: Mary, I could not be more honored to be here. I am so excited so humbled. This is going to be amazing.
0: It really is because you have so much incredible wisdom to share. And for those who are not familiar with you and your platform, Imogen Barnes is an eating disorder recovery advocate who you should definitely follow on the Instagram. That is how we got connected. She's at M underscore powering, like I am underscore powering. And her Instagram handle can actually be interpreted a few different ways. Actually, Imogen, instead of me reading this, do you want to just like explain it? Because I feel like it's going to be so powerful coming from you, like the the play on your Instagram handle name.
1: Yeah. So it can be interpreted a couple of ways. So Im is just short for Imogen, essentially. And powering, I kind of interpret as pursuing a life that I'm passionate about, you know, powering and being my authentic self. And also it signifies recovering from a lot of eating disorders in my (laughs) personal experience, but just a lot of adversity, you know, overcoming what I've really challenged. And it can also be interpreted as I'm powering. So that's a very inclusive contraction, and it serves to uh, represent that Anyone is capable of transforming any pain that they've endured into power and into a purpose and something that they're really passionate about. So that's kind of what the name represents. The origin story. There we go. Origins. Just, that's the word. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that. Yeah, right. It's so.
0: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Thank empowering. You. Wink. <laughs> Before we dive in to talk about eating disorder recovery and all of the things related to that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your personal story, like anything you want to share, spill it all, the whole life, the whole life journey. Oh, okay.
1: So I'm actually very, very blessed in terms of my childhood and my young adolescence. It was so beautiful. I'm so, so grateful for the upbringing that I was fortunate enough to have. I have two amazing sisters and the three of us have just the most remarkable bond. And I had such phenomenal friends and I loved school. I loved learning. My parents, very fortunate that they're still together. So I've always had a family that's very close knit and that is really formed me into the person that I am today you know my relationships that I've been so blessed to have I was however always a an anxious little kid you know I think even when I was a little baby I had this little thinking face that's what we called it and I just looked like I always you know if I had worries people could tell I was thinking about it and so I was I was anxious but it didn't impede how I lived my life. I don't think I encountered any actual like crippling anxiety or anything like that though until I was maybe 12. That was when I just started to really realize that how I felt and the worries that I had weren't actually quote-unquote normal. Do you know what I mean? So I remember the first time I I got so anxious my first bout of anxiety I was 12 and I mean was embarrassed to admit it then because I was 12 and everyone around me was like growing up and they were like getting very independent and I developed this fear of sleeping by myself and I wasn't sure where it originated but I went to like I couldn't sleep unless I had I slept in a room with my sister, and if my sister wasn't there, I'd sleep on the floor in my parents' room. And I was 12, and I was just yeah exceptionally anxious. And when I turned about 14, I was diagnosed with OCD. So I was just exceptionally obsessive to the point that it really, like it it really impacted how I lived. And I didn't challenge the OCD stereotype whatsoever. I was very obsessed with cleanliness and washing my hands and I was epitomized how society, I got through it and I recovered from my obsessive compulsive disorder. So I still dealt with it, but it wasn't, like I had to stop school. That's how bad it got, but it got better. And I, I went to therapy, started medication and I got back to school. And I actually remember growing up having the best relationship with food ever. Like my naive young self literally said one day, I still remember, I still remember us standing and everything. I said, I could never have an eating disorder because I love food too much. I genuinely thought my love for food was strong enough to see me never explore or be lured into atypical eating habits, I thought that I was immune to that because food's that good. But as I really would have it, when I turned 16, my obsessive compulsive traits kind of manifested themselves in a newfound body and food obsession. And so I was actually at the time a medication for my OCD and I was warned by my doctors that it could cause uh, weight gain as a side effect and for the first time in my life i would had this I was this crippled by this fear or like this sense of loss of control over my physical being and so I decided to take steps to not control my weight but at least still have a sense of greater control over my body and like this rippling control I thought was going to in my life you know what I mean but yeah that wasn't good so all of a sudden I just had this preoccupation with my body and my weight and what I was eating and the movement I was engaging in and so quickly so so quickly it snowballed from this you know like oh I'm just going to be aware of what I'm putting in my body into a complete life consuming obsession so Within six months of starting this new medication when I was 16, I I essentially had a fully-fledged eating disorder. And that was when my kind of journey to recovery began. But since then, so I'm 20 now. Since I was 16, I've had upwards of maybe 15 different hospital admissions. I've engaged in many different outpatient programs and... Inpatient programs and outpatient therapy and family-based therapy and kind of every therapy there is under the sun. I even had magnetic stimulation on my brain, but I'm very, very grateful to have finally arrived. And I wouldn't say I'm fully recovered. I definitely wouldn't say I'm fully recovered. I'm very much still in the recovery trenches, but I'm winning at the moment this war and I am very confident that I will win it ultimately, you know, like the eating disorder will be the one to wave that white flag in the end and I'm so passionate now to help others find hope and see that there is a life beyond this sense of like absolute containment in your soul you just feel so stuck and so alienated and so far from the person that you really align with have any kind of bodily obsession and I just want to be the person that my 16 year old self needed that said you know there is a life beyond this healing is possible and you can absolutely love and accept yourself without having to change yourself first So that, I wouldn't take back the fact that I had an eating disorder. You know, it was off. It's been, like, it's been a horrific experience. But I just have this new release on life and I feel like I see colour now different to how I saw it before. Like, everything in life now is just so much more beautiful because I have just survived and conquered what I thought was impossible to get through. And I have this sense of profound gratitude just for existence and for being alive. And I just want other people to be able to rediscover their own purpose and to fall in love with life again because it's so possible, even when you've been in the darkest of places, you can really find this true beauty again in just being being here and having a heartbeat. It's It's phenomenal. Mm.
0: Thank you so much for your vulnerability, Imogen. I think that relates to a lot of us, especially uh, you just unlocked a memory I didn't know I had of being an early teenager and saying, oh, I could never have an eating disorder because I love food so much. Like as if it's about that. Exactly. And I never... I guess I, I was the last person that I expected to struggle with something like this in the way that I did, so it was very validating to hear that.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's really validating from the the point that I wouldn't perceive like I myself, and I know you're not as well, and anyone that's ever struggled with an eating disorder, we're not vain people, you know, we're not. We don't engage in the dis- behaviors that we do because we're so obsessed with ourselves. Do you know what I mean? In fact, it's—it's. It's I feel like people with eating disorders are the least vain people on this planet, and the—and if it was about vanity, none of us would be ill, and certainly not a choice or food. Because my goodness, food's like the best, you know, like. It's like being scared of oxygen. It doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the journey starting with struggling with OCD because actually one of my closest friends, I was having a conversation with her and you know, we both kind of had this disordered eating slash bulimia type of thing where it was this obsession with fitness. So I guess it would be more like orthorexia if we had to put a label on it. But she also mentioned that it started with OCD. So you're not the first person that I've heard that from. So I'm wondering, like you said, you've done a lot of therapy, a lot of treatment programs, like, and now you feel like you're in a good place. And you inspire so many people, and I learned so much from you. And I I can't wait to get into more of that. But for those wondering who are maybe in the trenches or just trying to heal but feel very stuck, what do you think finally helped you, like over that hump?
1: So I solemnly believe that you can be made to gain weight or disengage from. Hate this forcibly. You know, you can be put into hospital against your will, or you can have your parents, for instance, making sure that you're eating more than your eating disorder would like you to eat. You can have people force these, you know, regulations upon you that challenge your eating disorder, and that can help to a degree. But I think for me, When I decided to become an active participant in my own recovery was when I finally got over that hump, and when I gained this appreciation for what I was missing to maintain my eating disorder, especially after it had been a good couple of years. You know, I just witnessed all my friends—they graduated high school and they had all these phenomenal coming-of-age experiences. We started uni and. I was stuck in this cyclical pattern of behaviours and I was living this groundhog day to sustain this disordered ideal that was ultimately unsustainable and I thought I'd been in recovery for so long because I've been in all these treatment facilities and regimes but I'd never actually in my soul decided that I'd want I really wanted to get better and when I decided that, you know, this life, this small life that I'm living, it's never going to deliver me to my dreams and the way I would envisage a prosperous existence. It's it's so small. And I realized that keeping my body small is keeping my life small and once I realized that and I realized that I was becoming my biggest fear, I was beginning to just live to be an eating disorder. I felt like I just embodied an eating disorder. I wasn't Imogen anymore. I was just this this illness. And I got so, so angry at my eating disorder. I got so passionately angry at it because it, It's stolen so much from me at this point. And in that moment, I still have it written down. I wrote down reasons why I genuinely want to recover. And that means I really want a family one day, Mary. I really want to have kids. I want to meet a soulmate. I want to have a career. And none of this can happen if my eating disorder is present. And so I'm willing now to do anything to conquer this eating disorder if it means I can have a life that I ultimately want to be a part of. And I don't want to sleepwalk through life anymore like you do with eating disorder. I don't want to get to the end of it and think, oh my goodness, I didn't even live. That scares me. I don't want to be 80 years old and have regrets. And I know that I will be if I have an eating disorder. I will, I have regrets, I've only had it for a few years, so the prospect of just becoming lifelong, that is, that is way scarier than the prospect of recovering, so that's, I think that's what you have to do, you have to be, you know, you know what I mean, you have to be committed to recovery yourself, yeah, have your heart in it,
0: yeah, it's just a perspective shift, exactly, like it's the the change of perspective from this is so hard and scary to well, you know what's harder and scarier <laughs> hating yourself like your whole life and yeah. living like this. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Exactly. Perpetual perpetual suffering. Yeah. And like um I I really like to think blessed dietitian that is just absolutely incredible. Uh she always says recovery anxiety and discomfort and distress that's temporary but eating disorder anxiety and distress that is permanent you know like a sustained eating disorder is sustained distress so let's take temporary like we can do this we actually can we can do what scares us
0: so you mentioned um dealing with anxiety and i know that Depending on which mental health professional you ask, they will say different things about an eating disorder. And a lot of people phrase it as anxiety, like channeled towards food. I'm wondering if that resonates at all with you, or if you've ever experienced that, or how do you think that, you know, struggling with something like an eating disorder, because it's like food is one of those things that we need to survive, right? It's not. People say it's not an addiction because it's not like drugs or alcohol where you actually don't need those things to survive, whereas we're faced with food multiple times a day and thus food anxiety if we're struggling with that. So yeah, I'm wondering if you've just ever heard that or what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, so it's actually really quite not funny, but when you deprive yourself of food, one of the side effects is actually heightened anxiety. And so regardless of whether or not your food deprivation is sourced from disordered origins or you're literally deprived of food because, for instance, you're in a famine, the human physiological response is an anxiety response. So naturally, you become more agitated. That is just a survival mechanism, really. So... It's kind of like a double-edged sword when you have an eating disorder because you have this physiological anxiety that, you, that your body is just in a state of anxiousness because it's deprived of nutrients. And you also have the psychological anxiety that comes with the fear of food. And so, yes, you have this anxiety that is not only just around eating and food, But it's not just around the times that you have to eat, it's constant because even when you aren't eating, you're thinking about food and you're planning food and you're ruminating and you're worrying about food. And so I always found that really difficult to communicate to people because people would say something very well-meaning like, just, you know, eat sandwich, show yourself that you can face the anxiety and get on with it. And in essence, that's lovely, right? Like being able to have the sandwich and whatever, whatever it is and just move on. But the reality is with an eating disorder, you have anxiety about whatever you eat that sandwich before you eat it, while you're making it, while you eat it, after you eat it. And, you know, it takes a really long time and a lot of practice to learn that that anxiety does very gradually subside and that you can learn to combat it with positive coping mechanisms and not maladaptive ones but yeah it's so it's anxiety that just is so relentless and you become anxious about every little thing like I used to lie awake at night pondering what I was going to eat the next day you know or what I'd eaten the day before and I thought you know, sometimes the anxiety was actually eating it was okay because it was, you know, it was bearable because I put so much plan, with so much obsession into what I was eating and the actual anxiety came around the planning. That's how it kind of manifested for me for most. It was just like going to the supermarket, an absolute nightmare. Choosing a muesli bar, my goodness. The worst decision ever, but... <laughs> But actually eating those things is funny. What actually is it that it's bizarre, they're not logical are they eating disorders.
0: It's this like Yeah, it's like this self-perpetuating cycle where it's like, I feel anxious to eat the food. And then even if you combat it, you're like, Oh, well now I feel even more anxious that I did eat the food and then it just never ends. Yeah. And it kind of goes one into another. So what are some of those positive coping mechanisms for food anxiety? I know a lot of people struggle with not just like I'm scared to eat necessarily, but almost this like, I don't trust myself around food. So they're scared to like, 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 especially in recovery for me, I was like, I'm cool with eating if I could just eat one bowl of cereal and not 10 because I was also binge eating. And so it just felt like, like it was like, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. So what are some of like the, what are some ways we can get through that? I know it gets easier over time, just the more we kind of keep going, but is there anything concrete that has helped you?
1: Yeah. So I have a couple of things that I really, really like to do. The first is especially when I am say if I'm challenging a meal or something that is particularly challenging and something that I know a lot of people will understand me when I say especially when you have that history of binging, it becomes something like, well, I don't want to eat that food because it might trigger a binge. You know what I mean? So it's safe for me to restrict it if I don't want to have a binge but I know that ultimately restriction is going to lend itself to a revenge eventually. You know, it's what keeps that cycle going. So something that really helps me is I literally sit down with a journal and while I'm eating and after I eat, I write down all the reasons that I need to recover from my illness and how it makes life so difficult to leave and I write down there is nothing more shitty than sustaining a suppressed body and a suppressed life and so I write down I literally use the word shit the reasons suppressing my body weight is shit and do you know what one of those actually is is that desire that deep desire within you to quote-unquote binge which probably like it exists because you restrict. So I write down the reasons why suppressing my body weight suppresses my life and why having an eating disorder and restricting is actually going to harm me more in the long term than eating any amount of food could. So some days, and it sounds so difficult to say, And I understand it's so difficult to hear even, but binging or eating more than you'd like to is still superior to not eating at all and being comfortable and accepting the fact that, okay, for instance, I just binged. I need to write down now all the reasons why I'm remembering that this is an illness that I'm recovering from and... I just binged doesn't mean I have to compensate in any way. In fact, I like, I won't compensate in any way because that will just lend itself again to another, another binge. So I had to remind myself because I so understand the fear of eating because you're like, well, it's like, well, what if I start and I just can't stop? It's learning and evolving. So some days you do eat and it does turn into an episode of eating more than you would like to even then, it's better than having not eaten at all. And so you're actually not going to want to eat perpetually forever. You know, there will come, come a time when the physiology goes, okay, I am nourished. And so long as you don't give in to the urges to compensate, the cycle will eventually break. And... So in those moments, I think it's, it's those moments that it's really important that you protect the reasons why you're recovering and you really align with them and you engage with them. So you sit down and you write down why you're recovering and why your illness is shit and why compensating is not an option and why you're strong and fierce regardless of what you've done and you're not a failure even if you have hinged and you're not addicted to food, you're deprived of food. You know, that's the difference. Like, people don't get addicted to drugs. People that get addicted to drugs aren't addicted to them because they've been deprived of them. That's ultimately where this, I think, the idea of food addiction comes from. We're not addicted. We're just starving, you know. And you have so much guilt on yourself for eating beyond what you think is acceptable, but it's a primal response to hunger and when we can really get in touch with that and be like, okay, what did I, I ate a lot tonight, but what did I expect if I didn't eat a lot today? You know, I'm going to sit down now, I'm going to realign with my values, I'm going to realign with my purpose, I'm going to remember why I'm recovering, I'm not going to compensate, and I'm just going to give myself grace and try again tomorrow. That's what gets me to because I, I so resonate with that idea of, I'm scared of restricting because I'm scared of anorexia, and I'm scared of eating because I'm scared of binging like it's it's so difficult but just really realigning with your values that's that's really what helps me
0: mm. values have been such a big thing for me and I feel like there's they're like almost a little unsexy to talk about <laughs> but so necessary right
1: completely yeah
0: nobody like unless somebody actually comes to a retreat or takes one of my programs with me I don't think anybody ever follows my advice on sit down and write out your values, but it's so necessary. You are like the queen of beautiful, amazing, thought-provoking, brilliant, wonderful, helpful Instagram threads. Where you dissect such, <laughs> you dissect such nuanced aspects of recovery. Like I don't think there's a topic you haven't addressed, and then every day you come out with some other groundbreaking topic. And one of those that really opened my eyes, and I've learned so much from you in this way, is you did a post on how eating disorders are not fat phobic. And I just want to give some context here, but I'm sure you can explain a little bit better. But you were talking about how basically, obviously, we know that fat phobia exists, but there's a difference between like diet culture and people struggling with disordered eating and wanting to lose weight and then like a full blown eating disorder. And I think once we cross that line into like a full blown eating disorder, then like you mentioned at the beginning of this recording, it's not about vanity. It's not just about, oh, I don't want to get fat. Like, yeah, maybe that fear is so big, but it's not because we're these shallow people who don't understand. <laughs> in fact, we're probably the ones that would fight the most for fat bodies to be accepted in our society. So could you just explain a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of fellow warriors are like, they just have the shame of their, their illness coming across as vanity and like fat phobic and like they're just I don't know, they're just restricting because they don't want to look like that for lack of better words when that's not necessarily
1: the case. Yes. Mary, it's a fear that strikes me right to the core that people, you know, perceive me to be ignorant and this one dimensional shell of the person that's so preoccupied with weight. And that's how that I supposedly value people. It makes me really scared because you know, truthfully, this is an illness and this cognition that we you know, engaging in and are basically a slave to is not the result of a superficial value system. They actually don't even necessarily, our behaviours don't always have to even come from a dissatisfaction with our bodies and we certainly don't expect other people to live up to the standards we expect of ourselves because we do know that rationally they're unattainable and so 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 unsustainable I remember somebody saying to me once if you look like you do and hate yourself what do you think of me and it did make me so 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 sad At my core, I don't value thinness. I do not correlate anywhere with anybody's body size. I don't derive any kind of joy or satisfaction from starving myself. And the shape of anyone's body just plays no role in how much I appreciate them. Because eating disorders aren't vain. They're not about being shallow. They're not about being superficial. We're not small-minded. We're not dismissive body types. We're not incapable of appreciating and celebrating uniqueness. We have illnesses that are a result of altered biochemistry. So we have had environmental and psychological the perfect conditions made to facilitate the development of these illnesses and weight gain or Food fears and everything it's pathological it's it's due to an, an illness you know not a choice and our obsessions and compulsions and weight related fears they're only relevant in the context of our own body and our own life and our own ideas of what's acceptable and they're not actually always tied to these unrealistic standards even that society expects us to have that this completely unique to us. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Like I don't know that I had this ideal in my head that wasn't even magazine idealistic. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't something that I saw on on the cover of a magazine and thought that's what I'm attaining, that's what I'm aspiring to. My life was just absolutely consumed. It was thinking about food, my body, and my weight, honestly, around the clock. And it wasn't because I was pain. And the people that I know that have eating disorders were the least really pain people too, were actually the most broadly body accepting population, I think. It's not a choice and it's so not about, you know what? I really care about my appearance. So I'm going to sacrifice every other aspect of my life to achieve a level of perfection that I'm desire. It's not about that at all. It becomes about avoiding fear, avoiding distress, protecting ourselves, coping, and just getting by in the best way we you know how. And unfortunately, that's maladaptive ways. But we're not fat phobic. We have a mental illness and we're harmless to anyone but ourselves.
0: Mm, I wish I could just like put some of the things you said on a billboard. Yeah that it's it's unique to you, to ourselves. Like it's not just because I feel this way about myself doesn't mean I feel that way about you. It's actually, like you said, an illness. And and you're right, like all the lovely warriors I've had the honor of working with and the people that I know that have had an eating disorder or in recovery or have recovered, they are the most intelligent, compassionate people that definitely know about the importance of just making sure that everybody feels safe in their own bodies, but yet they struggle to feel safe in their own, which is heartbreaking.
1: Sometimes I wished I could literally put these words on my forehead. I just wanted to say to anyone, you know, and everyone that these unrealistic and deadly standards that I somehow expected myself to live up to didn't apply to them. I don't judge anyone or internally critique anyone or pay even the slightest attention to anybody else's diet or body. I only pay attention to my own and people don't mean more to me and have more value in my heart if there's less of them. I honestly, and so truthfully, I love people for their their authenticity and just who they are I don't even pay attention to appearance and so that's something that I just wish I could say on behalf of everyone with an eating disorder right but you just you so genuinely love and appreciate everyone you just struggle to show yourself that same love and appreciation
0: yeah what would you say to somebody who is recovering from an eating disorder right now like what are just some final words that you hope that our listeners carry with with them
1: If you're out there and you're listening to this and you feel in the absolute depths of despair, I just want you to know that you have the absolute power to get through this. And I know deep in my soul that you are not vain. You are not shallow. And what you are conquering is is so brave and what you are doing is so courageous. And you get up every day with a fighting passion to get back your life, and you do so, so, so wholeheartedly, and that is so empowering, and it doesn't matter, ultimately, how the world perceives your battle to be, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, because only you know how hard you've fought, and you know the genuine, genuine experience that you've had, and if you can give yourself grace, and you can give yourself acceptance and unconditional love, then oh my goodness, you're doing it. you'll you'll go places. Because when we can when we can move past needing acceptance from someone else and deciding that acceptance from ourselves is what we should prioritize, then we really find a new meaning for peace and you will get there. If you're, I so believe you'll get there, and I'm here with you, and you're not alone. And what you're fighting, it's not going unrecognized. You are just more powerful than you know. Mm,
0: thank you so much for that, Imogen. Thank you for these sweet reminders for recovery. Ones that are just so needed, especially in the darkest of times when you know we're riding the roller coaster, so to speak, of recovery, because it can very much be like. Oh, I see the light. I'm feeling so much better, and then just seeing so much darkness. Um, so you're on Instagram as at m underscore powering. I am underscore powering. Is there anywhere else you hang out that you want people to
1: find you on? I'm actually um, in the in the process, so of making a little uh, YouTube channel. And I'm not sure at this point where I, how much I expect it to grow, and it probably just remain a small little corner of the internet that I profess this self-development and healing and recovery. I just want it to be a safe place to, for people to be their authentic self and to be encouraged to be their authentic self. So that's going to be in the works under the same in underscore powering Instagram handle. And yeah, that's, that's the, I'm only, yeah, little doing, having a tiny impact. (laughs) I love it.
0: And tiny is great, but it's still a big impact. Even, even if it's in one person, it's still a huge impact. I I used to watch recovery YouTube channels all the time, all the time. It's so, so needed. Just like I would, I would have people on just as like, background just so I could feel like a friend was there with me you know so I love that yes yes
1: that's so true just having that sense of oh got someone to do this
0: yeah exactly thank you so much for your lovely conversation today Imogen I really appreciate it and I know our listeners and fellow warriors do too
1: so thank you Mary for having me I'm so so honored thank you
0: I wrote a book Yes, a real-life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to slash book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com book. And by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book. And I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, maryscopatee.com book. Go pre-order it today and give yourself the
1: gift of self-love.